Welcome to the Responsible Entrepreneur Institute's podcast. We call this segment The Responsible Entrepreneur. It's where we move beyond doing less bad, but we don't stop at doing good. I teach you how to make profound and beneficial change in an industry, a social system, a cultural belief system, and governance itself. My name is Carol Sanford. I am your host. I am also a business and development coach for Fortune 500 companies and rock star entrepreneurs, as well as the author of The Responsible Business and The Responsible Entrepreneur for Game-Changing Archetypes for Founders, Leaders, and Impact Investors. Well, today's lesson got triggered by me reading a Forbes blog on entrepreneurship. It invited people to what I consider a troubled list of characteristics of responsible entrepreneurs. Now, some are kind of minimally true, but to me, they didn't really list what really mattered. They listed them as being fervent, being wily, being selfless, being optimistically pessimistic, and being self-aware. Now, it's not that there's anything particularly wrong with this, but I had done research myself through the Responsible Entrepreneur Institute for about 22 years looking at entrepreneurs. And we found seven characteristics after interviewing about 40 rock star entrepreneurs, the ones who have rocketed to the top, not only in growing their business for financial return for its investors, but for the social return that is possible and the meaning that the entrepreneurs felt by being in it. So those seven characteristics are something you can pick all of up on our website, but I'm going to introduce you to the first three here today because you're going to meet a young man who really exemplifies these. The first one is being essence-connected. That's kind of a strange word, but essence really means kind of like your DNA, or in the case of a business, it's its DNA, that's singularly uh, distinctive to you. It is not copied. It's not duplicated. Your essence is the source of innovation and product development and connection with customers in the market when you're a business. And for you as a leader, it is related to how well you can innovate, how creative you can be. And the real truth is when we get disconnected from ourselves and to the essence we have, we're really easily displaced and fragmented. This we found over and over again with the entrepreneurs that we interviewed who really succeeded is they were true to themselves. Secondly, they are what I called imperturbable. There are a lot of things that can throw you in a ditch, <laughs> many shortfalls, lots of restraints on the path, and of course, seemingly impossible callings that you've stepped up to. Even if you don't do all of these things personally, you end up in situations where some things don't get done and you can't make them all happen. You find people who question, who challenge, and who disagree. Can you maintain each of these situations as a learning possibility and even one step further, a developmental opportunity, one through which you can grow and you do not allow yourself to be thrown by that which is outside? This is related to what we call internal locus of control, which is a funny psychological word, but it means I know where the control rests. It's in me. It is not outside of me. The third one and the last one that we'll look at for today is I call being a positive contrarian. <laughs> you know, there's not nearly enough skepticism and there's way too much following blindly or being a cynic. A positive contrarian is kind of in the middle of that. It's I pride myself on being one. You know, the biggest risk for all humans is really becoming mechanical. 
and especially for entrepreneurs, where you think you've got something down, you put systems in place, you borrow practices from um, other people, you adopt ideas from your parents or from mentors, and you're not actually paying attention to discerning what really works for you and is consistent with your essence. We have to learn to think for ourselves. And contrarianism is not about being negative, but it's rather about questioning, questioning the majority or the long-held opinions that are passed on to us. The real key is to learn to be critical thinking in our mind and to really be in a dialogue with people about what's missing, to seek to understand where's that coming from? What's the paradigm? Is that outdated and we're still carrying it forward? We question everything, but not from the perspective, as I said, of a cynic, but from a seeking to understand. So you have good intentions. You find other people that have good intentions, and you allow yourself to stand on the shoulders of others, but you constantly examine yourself and all the ideas that come toward you. So these are three of the seven characteristics we found in our 22-year study at the Responsible Entrepreneur Institute of entrepreneurs and how they make a difference in the world as well as a financial return. Today, we're going to listen to one of those young men who is an entrepreneur, plus he does some investing, investing and supporting others who are seeking to grow a business. And he lives in Brazil. Welcome, Duval Chandra. Tell us about a little bit about yourself to get us started. So hello, Duval. I welcome you to the Responsible Entrepreneur Institute. I was thrilled to hear what you were talking about in Merida, Mexico, and wanted more people to know about you. So, so much for having me, Carol. Sure. Um, why don't you tell people, what are you about? You know, what is it that you seek to make happen in the world that really matters to you and gets your juices going? Long-term vision is around helping provide uh, as many people as possible. So scale is something that I'm deeply uh, concerned about. Um, with the, the minimum level of um, capacity and well-being, um, which allows them to explore um, their capacity as human beings. So human potential, human well-being uh, at large scale, that's what really, uh, really gets me excited. And how do you make that happen? Because that sounds like a grand dream, right? A great vision. <laughs> but how do you ground that every day so something it's actually coming into existence? Cool. So, so a few different ways. Um, I think the, the important thing for me is that I need to find a way in which kind of I find an intersection between that vision and what uh, my talents are, what my interests are, and kind of how I can contribute towards that, that bigger vision, right? So... Um, what I do today um, contributes in a small way um, towards that vision, but also contributes in a small way in terms of making me better prepared to be able to deliver on that mission uh, in a larger way in the future. So what I work on uh, at this point of time is uh, investing in entrepreneurs and early stage uh, companies uh, that do that. So I, I serve much more as a platform. Uh, offering mentorship and consulting and cash investments, etc. So it's an investment company um, focused on entrepreneurs in the health, uh, education, and income generation spaces. Um, and so this means not only that I'm supporting people that are making that impact directly, but it also means that I'm learning uh, how to make, how to work at scale, uh, which is by working through kind of a platform approach and supporting a number of different companies and filling in gaps which entrepreneurs perhaps don't fill in so quickly themselves. 
So let's look a little bit at what you would say are the principles, the criteria, I'm not sure how you frame them, for how you invite people into this, how you invest in them, how you support them, because I'm sure that you don't take on everyone, and I know that you go after people as much as you receive people coming to you. So what goes on in that head of yours or your team to think about here's how we decide how we're going to invest. Then we'll come back and we'll look at how you measure success and some other things. But how do you even start the relationship? Great. So um, there's uh, one one part of it, of course, is the is the business, um, and the other part, of course, is the entrepreneur. Right. On both levels, we're looking for alignment of vision uh, and purpose. So, is the core business something that uh, fits within our investment thesis? So we have an investment thesis that kind of describes the type of company or the type of problem we're trying to solve. Uh, and that came about through a lot of research, uh, but also uh, personal interests and what gets us up uh, in the morning, right? Um, so there's that kind of, uh, how embedded is that in the business of, uh, or in the, in the core business of the company? But of course, how embedded is that in the vision and the motivation of the founding team? So that's one level, uh, which is motivation, both at the business as well as the entrepreneur level. Um, there's also, of course, um, second um, criteria for us that's very important is uh, quality, let's say. So the quality of the entrepreneurs, um, are they able to deliver on the vision that they're bringing us? And uh, given that we're looking for uh, equity investments, companies at scale, uh, it's actually a very small group of entrepreneurs, even within uh, folks that are able to sustainably run companies over the course of time that are actually able to sustainably scale companies uh, mm -hmm. over the course of time. So we're looking for a quality and well-rounded founding team. Um, and on the business side, that means, uh, is it a good idea? Is there a big enough market? Uh, is it going to kind of reach enough people? Um, so we have our thresholds of how many people uh, we want to impact through every business. Um, how much, uh, how big the market needs to be for us to actually want to invest in that market. Um, and then finally, the last criteria is uh, uh, is our ability to contribute. So kind of our unique skills or uh, connections, etc. Is this a business in which we can add real value or is it a business in which a few months down the line the entrepreneur is going to get frustrated with us and we're going to get frustrated with ourselves and uh, the relationship won't be as fruitful um, as it could have been. So I realize we haven't said the name of your company. That probably would help people <laughs> to know the name and maybe even a URL that people could check you out a little more. Sure. So uh, the company is called PIPA, P-I-P-A, um, and you can find it at www.pipa.vc. VC. Okay. Um, do you have a story you can tell us about a particular company that you have invested in and maybe help us really visualize those criteria that you just talked to, uh, you know, what sure. you saw, et cetera. Sure, sure. Um, so one of the companies that we've uh, invested in um, is called Aula Livre, which in Portuguese means free uh, class. Um, it's a company in the education space. Uh, more specifically, it's a company in the online uh, education space. Uh, but... Unlike perhaps a lot of the companies doing that in the U.S. right now, like Coursera and Udemy and uh, all of those, uh, it's more focused on youth, uh, pre-university level, so kind of high school, 
uh, uh, level or adolescent age group uh, youth and helping them um, get into university, do tutoring, um, and mostly it's also uh, the, the stats that we have is that more than 86% of their, uh, their students are middle and low income students. So the idea is that it's focused on low income communities, helping them um, supplement their uh, poor quality public school education um, and helping them prepare for the equivalence of uh, the SAT uh, and the bar and all of those kinds of tests uh, in Brazil lies <laughs> an undergraduate degree as well um, to kind of prepare students um, to get into university. They also have some amount of English and Spanish, uh, which are both foreign languages here in Brazil. Um, but yeah, uh, so it's a company that um, has more than 400,000 people doing uh, a, a few of their courses which are absolutely free. Um, there's also paid courses, which is the, the simple freemium business model that they're using. Um, these are entrepreneurs that come from the south of Brazil. We found them, um, actually they applied to, to us through, through uh, a joint application process here in Brazil. Um, when we actually uh, first met them, they were, they were trying to <coughs> business on the basis of a sponsorship business model, where they would ask corporates to, to help them maintain the free, free courses. Um, which for us, of course, on the business side was not a very promising uh, business model and not very scalable. Mm -hmm. uh, but we liked the team very much. Uh, the founders, we uh, thought that they had something um, very promising about how uh, they ran their company, uh, how, how dedicated they were, but also how they, they come from an advertising background and so how they're able to take content uh, and professors um, and actually turn that into something that's really interesting uh, for 15-year-olds. Yeah. Um, and so we bet on that uh, and said that I think we can uh, help guide you towards a more promising business model. Uh, and that's something that seems to be working. Uh, they launched the paid version uh, only a few days ago. It's been one week. Um, and they've sold about 600 courses already in, wow. in a week. Um, yeah, so things are, things are going well. Uh, they're trying to kind of grow uh, the, the number of paid users uh, and also the free course continues to to um, to be available on their website and it's upwards of 400,000 people like I mentioned. So, so it's an interesting company. It's informal education. I don't think it's the only way of uh, changing uh, the future of education in Brazil. Perhaps uh, the formal education system might have to play a much bigger role in that. But what these guys are doing is they're actually helping uh, extend that opportunity to middle and low income kids that youth that don't have that chance today. I ask people rather than trying to tell us who you are, think of two or three stories that are actual events in your life that you feel like made you who you are today. How I've been able to trace this kind of uh, in retrospect, right? Sure. Um, it has a lot to do with the fact that I was born, uh, well, I was raised in a, in a, in a condo in Delhi. Um, right across the street from one of the largest slums in, in the city. Hmm. Um, this meant that a lot of the people that worked uh, at the apartments in the condo came from the slums, both as uh, cleaning ladies uh, as well as chauffeurs and things of the sort. Um, and so I grew up playing uh, football, soccer, um, and cricket uh, with a lot of their kids, hmm. or rather, let's say, in a group in which there were both folks that used to live in the condo as well as folks that came from across the street. 
Um, and we all grew up always as uh, kind of as friends, um, playing together, having fun, etc. But very conscious of the fact that at sundown we went home to very distinct realities. And that something about that stuck with me. Um, and I had the the good fortune, let's say, of uh, going to high school in a place that spent the last two years of high school uh, in a place that, that put a lot of emphasis on community service. Mm-hmm. Um, and so very quickly that got baked in uh, through this kind of insistence on uh, giving back. Uh, so what's changed about uh, that since from then to now is much more specific focus and how I contribute because uh, obviously I, I learned very quickly that impact can be done through any different sector in any different industry and through any different skill set. I mean, the impact industry needs doctors and lawyers and engineers and mathematicians and programmers and designers and journalists and everything, right? And in government, in nonprofit, in business, doesn't matter. Um, and so it's been much more a journey of kind of finding what my focus is and what my, where my talents are and what uh, I, I enjoy doing in terms of activities because the, the end has been something that was identified a lot earlier. What do you see yourself trying to take on in terms of a larger system? And does that influence how you invest, how you lead? What is it that uh, about those? Or, or am I just making that up and you can't relate to that at all? No, uh, so I can actually relate to what you're, what you're saying. Um, so, so far, uh, perhaps, and, and I'm well aware of this, uh, the companies that we've invested in uh, are not all at that level, or perhaps none of them are at that level, uh, because we've been building this from the ground up and kind of bootstrapping and um, iterating as we go along. Um, and, and that's one of the things that's uh, led to this reflection at PIPA, to think about um, what does it take for us to actually invest in companies that are game-changing uh, at a much bigger level? Exactly. Right. So how um, are you thinking about that? Tell me how the co- at least PIPA is thinking about it. Sure. So, so our thinking um, um, has a lot to do with the fact that um, we've had the chance uh, between the co-founders to kind of um, visit with, at conferences or study at uh, places that are really... Um, scratching the surface on what the future looks like and how different it actually looks like than we usually think. Mm-hmm. Um, most investment approaches and most business approaches uh, today do not sufficiently understand uh, the, how quickly the environment that we live in is changing. Um, a lot of futures work includes uh, large political trends, futures kind of financial thinking, what macroeconomic policy and fiscal policy will look like and what the exchange rate might look like and if Europe goes down and things like, uh, things like that. Uh, but they're not looking enough at some of the other trends that we think might be actually more important, which include how quickly technology is advancing. Um, for instance, at today's rate, there's a lot of technology futures will, that will tell you that at today's rate, the next 100 years will be worth more than 20,000 years uh, of technological advance. So if it takes a year for a new iPad to come out at that price performance today, it's going to take whatever, 0.005 of a year to, for that to happen uh, in the near future, right? right. Um, so, that's, that's, uh, so technology is one of the big trends. 
biotech, nanotechnology, artificial intelligence, robots, uh, a lot of those things are going to networking, just, com just computing, um, more intelligent computing, more intelligent um, uh, semantic computing, the Internet of Things and all these kinds of things that are now beginning to get spoken about a little bit more in the mainstream are trends that are going to make a very, very big difference. The second uh, thing that I think is very interesting as well um, is the evolution of consciousness itself. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you think of um, what happened, for instance, I mean, I know it, it didn't create any lasting change, uh, or not as yet, but what happened in the Arab Spring or in Darius Square, etc., uh, those things it's, did not happen for a reason in the last 2,000 years, and suddenly uh, they happen in, in 10 different countries at, in, at pretty much the same time. Right. And it's not because of the Internet, right? The Internet is a tool mm -hmm. that kind of helped uh, increase the magnitude, but the uprising itself, uh, the insatisfaction with a type of regime, uh, is just one data point uh, of a num number of others that point in the direction of changing uh, values, changing systems as a result of changing values, and those two kind of playing off each other, uh, which we think is going to result in a very different type of consumer, a very different type of citizen, uh, very quickly. And you already see that happening in cities which perhaps uh, move quicker on those axes uh, than others, uh, like San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, some parts of New York, uh, Cape Town, these are places in which you're already beginning to see this kind of new uh, consciousness, post-rational, uh, spiritual kind of thinking emerge. What do you think is the best way to follow up with you? They're more than welcome to reach out to me at my email, which you can uh, share with the list. It's easy to find me on Facebook as well. I'm the only person in the world with my name. It's D-H-A-V-A-L, my first name, and my last name is C-H-A-D-H-A. Thanks so much, Duval. I mean, I was listening to the characteristics I presented just before we started, and you so clearly represent living from your essence, being totally imperturbable when you talk about the things that you've been up against, and being a questioner so that you don't adopt everything wholesale. I really appreciate you demonstrating that. Now, again, you didn't hear all this interview, listeners, and I know that you may want to hear more. If you go to carolsanford.com and you look on our podcast page, you'll begin to find this link, this story, and many more of interviews that we've done that have been converted either into just videos you can watch, transcripts, or in several cases, a podcast. Thank you and see you next time.